it was a really different kind of love affair. And a lot of you would not use the word love affair, but I'm going to use the word love affair because I, I don't think there's a better way to describe it. Okay, so I was... 20 years old and 21 years old and she was an 87 year old lady and I got a job to help her because she had had a series of strokes now before your mind goes into all kinds of wild directions it wasn't that kind of love affair but I say love affair because I loved her and it, and she loved me and for a period of time we were very attached to each other I mean I went up there this is from uh, living in, I was living in Northampton at the time, up to the hill towns, six days a week to, to ostensibly I was hired to be her research assistant, but I did everything for her. I emptied her pee. She had to pee in a can in the night because she couldn't get up and walk to the bathroom. I walked her to the bathroom. I fed her cats, changed her cat boxes, cooked food for her. And I also was there when her most beloved cat died. I was, I was her minister in that moment and that was before I was a minister and she was a really complicated person and that's what I want to tell you about today welcome to the only podcast that will bring you more alive while you smash the patriarchy join me Sam Wild, aka the fertile feminist every week as we shift the paradigm, reclaim our native fertility, and create together the version of ourselves that brings forth our heart's desires and changes the world. Hello to my lovely listeners. Thank you everyone for joining me, for listening in, for sharing this podcast, for becoming a new follower. It's really wonderful, I hope that listening to The Fertile Feminist is helping you to feel more fertile and be more feminist in your life. Two things that we really need. And when I use those words, like I said, we're talking about fertile is life, life force, verdant, lush, abundant, productive, rich, right? And feminist is the radical notion that women are people. And it is a liberative concept that frees all people from the structures of patriarchy which are have have include so much really that oppresses us all of us this terrible death culture is the patriarchy the death culture so uh i hope that listening to these different episodes is bringing you into a place where you can really feel access to more life force for yourself in an authentic way that's also helping you to be part of this liberative movement it is a wave that's happening and i love to see it i mean in my social media everything on my feed is positive man i get i just love the people i see i love the things that people are doing it's really exciting to me I don't follow anybody who has a negative or opposite opinion. So all I get to see is the beauty that's happening. And I'm going to tell you a story that maybe wouldn't have happened. So an event, something in my life that wouldn't have happened if it was happening now. And that's this love affair, as I told you, just the opener with this elderly woman who I took care of when I was a student at Smith College. And there's a lot of richness and goodness in this story as we think about what it means in the world today to own, claim, and operate inside of identities. 
So here, here's a little background um, to set this in time and space. When I was in high school, I went to a boarding school called Concord Academy. My boarding school was the first place, the first LGBTQ, I don't think there was a Q in it, the first LGBT organization, student organization in the country. And uh, famous, became famous for that. I mean, it's famous for other things. So that just, right? Okay, so now you know my, what my age is. <laughs> that was the first one on the cutting edge. And I was, however old I was, I was 15. So when I was 20, or the age I was when I was hired by Ruth Z. Temple, some of you may have known her. She lived in Chesterfield. I was hired by her to be her research assistant. She was a retired professor of comparative literature and she taught in the uh, CUNY, the city, CUNY, C-U-N-Y, City University of New York. Uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong. For a very long time. And she had a beautiful old home in Chesterfield. I went there six days a week in every kind of weather. And even though I was hired to be her research assistant and help her organize her notes, take notes for her, at that point, I think she was writing a book about Henry James, <clears throat> who she wrote about a lot. I just ended up doing all kinds of things for her. So she had had a series of strokes before she hired me that left her really limited. I would drive up there. There were no cell phones. <laughs> I would take care of her uh, for a couple hours every morning and go home. How is it that I fell in love with her? Well, I've always loved old ladies, I'll be honest. That was always my volunteer job of choice to hang out in the nursing home. I love to hear their stories. And I think I can truly understand now because I love old fashioned things. I love to sit and listen to somebody tell me what life was like 80 years ago. Sometimes a hundred years ago, some of you know I had a 106 year old yoga student. I didn't have to pretend that I was interested in what these people had to say. I really wanted to know. I was like edge of my seat. I felt like I was learning a lot and was so valuable. So I probably loved that about her. She was cantankerous, particular, um, and difficult. And that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> she was somebody from another time and another generation in every possible way. I've told the story before that I arrived at her house one time in a long skirt. I often wear long skirts. Even now I wear long skirts. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she was so angry with me. And she said, you only wear long skirts in the evening. That's an evening skirt. She was terribly offended. She taught me how to vacuum properly. I don't think that woman ever vacuumed in her life. And she told me not to have the vacuum go back and forth, but to pull it towards me very slowly while pressing down. <laughs> that was the proper way to vacuum. There was the proper way to uh, prepare her tomatoes. She would eat tomatoes. I have to take the skin off them. And I bring her a finger bowl, which is a little crystal bowl full of water. She was somebody who had lived with a certain kind of privilege her whole life. She was the daughter of a doctor. <clears throat> but there was something more complicated about her. And I didn't know what those things were right away. 
So I was happy to work for her. It was a delightful challenge in a way for me. And occasionally I get my ego bruised because she would, you know, she would be sharp. But she was also 87 and dealing with, uh, after the series of strokes, she had to walk on a walker. She couldn't, as I couldn't get up in the middle of the night, she, she peed in a bowl and transferred that into a little metal like coffee can, which is what I would dump in the morning. And she was gradually losing a lot of her abilities and her strength. And that's an extremely difficult position to be in. So I didn't take a lot of it personally, let it roll off my back if she was hard on me in different ways. I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot about what life was like before. Her her father, who was the doctor, was a house call doctor back in the day. And she told me stories. He would go and often just accept eggs in return for his services. It was really like Little House on the Prairie, which some of you know that I love. But here was the thing about Ruth. She had a friend that she had lived with for her whole life, essentially, her whole adult life. She had a friend who was a woman. And that's all that was ever said, really, about that. But when this friend of hers, who was a woman, died, it was heartbreaking to her. She did not ever get married. She lived with this woman for decades and decades. And we can only assume that she had what was called in the day a Boston marriage. So she was a lesbian. Now, I can't uh, prove this to you because I never took any photos of them <laughs> kissing or in bed or doing anything. And that's why place and time are, are so important, right? This was a time where she drove a car that didn't have any radio in it. And when I would tell her I listened to the radio, she was aghast. How could I not be focusing on driving? This was, a, this was an old person <laughs> with a very old-fashioned mentality who it looks like had a very deep, long partnership, what would have today been morphed into a marriage, that was never known, was never acknowledged, uh, was never honored or validated or celebrated. It was a secret between them. It was always something that she kept hidden. And no doubt it was a source of an incredible amount of pain. But we can't really know because she didn't talk about it. It's interesting to me because Ruth Temple was absolutely a feminist. She was somebody who did not get married. And she had lots of good reasons not to get married at her time. It would have meant the demise of her career and that's sort of the typical feminist norm. She focused on her career. She became a distinguished professor. She did work that was very important to her. She bought this house in Chesterfield where she summered and grew. She had a beautiful garden growing beautiful fruits. And it was a lovely antique home that she filled with books and other incredible treasures. So she lived this very rich, interesting life that she wanted to live. She was strong and she was strong-willed and she always spoke her mind. She was an animal rights activist. And in that day, you would write things on pieces of paper and put them in the mailbox. You wouldn't text them or email. So I wrote so many letters. I would, she would tell me what to say and I would write them to all kinds of different organizations to stop animal rights violations. I would write five or six of those every day. In fact, I think when she passed, she gave the majority of her state a state to an animal rights organization. So here she she is this feminist looking person, right? Um, and to imagine what life would, would have been for her to be in love with a woman 
and to spend her life with this woman, but to cover it as a friendship is fascinating to think of. I think she was also absolutely racist. And at the time, I don't, we just didn't have what we have now. We had racism. <laughs> but, but the consciousness and the insight, you know, my understanding of racism has become more and more sophisticated through my adult life. And I know I had an education in them. In that same boarding school I went to, we talked about it. But I didn't understand it the way I understand it now. It's taken, and of course I won't. I don't mean to say I know everything about it, not even, not even scratching the surface. But I'm sure I'll know even more another 20, 30, or 40 years. But every now and then, Ruth would make a comment where it would become obvious to me that she was in fact a racist. And in that way, perhaps just a product of her time and upbringing, we say that, but people also say there's really no excuse because you can have that time and upbringing and she could have been a progressive person. There, were, there was so much inside of her that was so complicated and it's a, it's a personality that I wouldn't be hanging out with now, right? So in our current culture, we have sorted and divided as I have with my social media. I'm not hanging out with people who are racist. <laughs> I just don't hang out with them. If there's somebody who would make a comment, a racist comment about a black person, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't hang out with them. It's, it's not, it's a no brainer, but I worked for her, of course, so I wasn't going to just walk away. And also there was a different kind of understanding. So I loved her. I loved her, even though she had ways of being offensive, uh, both to me and to other people. This was such a great education for me in love. And a great education in the power and possibility of feminist love. Can we hold in our embrace women who are missing the mark, but who have also lived inside an intersection of complicated identities without support? So she was both woman, uh, oppressed, oppressor. She was all of those things. Her favorite cat, she had six of them, got very sick and it was so heavy and heartbreaking for her. It hadn't been that long since she lost her dear beloved friend, maybe a number of years, but she'd gone downhill, I was told, after the loss of her friend. And so the loss of her favorite cat being eminent was really uh, such a struggle for her. She had to decide what to do as he got weaker and thinner and more sick. Ultimately, she had a vet come who made house calls to uh, put him to sleep. And I witnessed to the incredible strength of spirit that that required for her because she didn't want him to go. His name was Hector. She wanted him to live forever. And it was very clear. I'm not sure now whether she said words that she didn't want to live anymore. But it was very clear to me that losing him was like losing another piece of what was keeping her on planet Earth. I wasn't a minister yet. I wasn't a yoga teacher yet. I was a yoga practitioner. But my instincts were good about what to do and how to be with her inside of that grief. So when the vet came and she was holding Hector in her lap, 
After the vet left, he was still in her lap, his body completely still and life force not in him any longer. It was intuitive to me to hold the space for this connection that the two of them had, this love to be present, not to rush or hurry anything. And I asked her what she would like at that point, if she would like to have some music. Because one thing I knew about her was that she loved music and that she believed when you listen to music, you didn't do anything else. <laughs> and when I say she believed it, I say that was that was God's own truth and her opinion. Nobody should do anything while they were listening to music. And she said to me, put on Ina Kleine Nacht music. <clears throat> I put it on and then I, I let her be. I let her be with her beloved cat. I woke up the other morning with this story on my mind and I couldn't really figure out why, why Ruth was being called to my attention. After that moment, uh, after the music, I eventually took Hector from her lap when she was ready. I brought him out to the little apple orchard and I dug a hole and I did my own little ceremony and laid him to rest. Ruth herself, after that event, said to me, you are my reward for something good I never did. Well, she was really witty and she was clever and she was good with words, but she loved me that much. I love that she said that. I think in it was an understanding of her own complicated and imperfect history. I wrote her a poem, actually, and I read it to her. And it was about how much I admired her and how much I honored her. It came from the depths of my heart. I loved being there with her in that wonderful old house filled with books, with a, a kitchen with this gigantic ancient stove and all these delightful old cookbooks on the shelf. I would write recipes down from them. I still make pumpkin cookies from one of those recipes. That old fashioned part of me felt so at home in that space. You know, the other day, because I hadn't been feeling well, I was doing a lot of Instagram scrolling which I'm gonna be honest, is just not something I do very often. Uh, even on Facebook, I tend to just go on there, post my thing and then leave. <laughs> I think that makes me a bad social media user, but that's the truth. I was scrolling and scrolling and I found this woman. Her name is Diane Schiffer. She calls herself the chubby vintage grandma, or, or Nana, I think, and you can find her too. And um, she has beautiful posts. It was just like really delightful to find someone who's into old fashioned things, but of a very loving. But here's what she said about herself, because the first reel, they call it, is a tiny little minute half video that I saw of hers where she was talking about that she'd had lots of new followers and that some of them were really surprised to find out that even though she was old fashioned, she didn't have old fashioned values. She was actually really progressive and she didn't want anything said 
about the LGBT community negatively, and she didn't want anything said about black lives or all lives matter. She said in her very loving, grandmotherly way, I'll just remove them. And so her tagline, I think somewhere, is kind of this, you know, old-fashioned ways, but not old-fashioned values. Well, Ruth Temple was not that person. She had old-fashioned values and old-fashioned ways, and they formed and shaped her own life, and they took away opportunities she might have had to love and to be in the world, and they produced uh, pain, I'm certain of it, inside of her heart. My love for her was so big that it just really held all of that. Tommy and I often talk about what's lost when we uh, get rid of people, rule them out, or erase them. Is that what it's called now? Based on some of the beliefs that they have. And we do lose some of these valuable friendships. I wouldn't have had this friendship with her, likely, if if I had only met her on social media. If she had an Instagram account with her old-fashioned values, I certainly wouldn't have been one of her followers. To realize the depth of our love and our ability to love people is key for our own fertility and for our own feminism and for the liberation of the world. For me, there's been a lot of loving people who are hard to love. There's been a lot of loving people who require a certain amount of forgiveness. And it's not to say that we stop doing the work that we're doing because we're like, oh, whatever. You can just be that and do that. The place to find is that place inside of ourselves that is the corrective to the imperfections we see in those who went before us who we admire. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Ruth told me the story that she got into a fight with her father. This is the doctor father. She was very, very close to him, but he was extremely obstinate and stubborn, and so was she. So one evening, she's an adult, grown woman, has a terrible fight with him on the phone. The fight ends up uh, just like just it, the conversation ends with the fight. I don't I don't see her having you know hung up the phone on him. She probably wouldn't have done that. But anyway, we ended very badly this conversation. And the next morning, she decided she would call and you know see what she could do to make things right. But instead, she received a call, and the call she received was that her father had died of a heart attack in the night. The pain in her voice when she told me this story was palpable, even though that event had happened decades and decades before. I've learned a lot by sitting with people who are older. One of the things that I've learned is you cannot look at people who are 87 and think somehow that they are beyond or away from the depth of those wounds, that they aren't alive. You know, where there's a way that we make invisible the, the realness of people who are in a different age for us. That wound was so real for her when she shared the story with me. It was so heartbreaking that it was a takeaway message for me 
that I have lived with and used every day of my life to make sure that I don't fight with my children and forget to be loving and tender before they go to their fathers or for that matter with my parents or anybody else. Her humanity comes out inside of that story, her loss and her grief, and she was a teacher for me. But she was also a teacher for me in, in the things that she said that were wrong, that were unkind, that were offensive. She was a teacher for me in the way I could see her life could have been bigger rather than smaller in her love for her treasured friend in that partnership. We can be so strong, my friends, in our feminism in our fertility, in our life-giving, fertile feminism, that we can expand the space of our heart and invite in those people that we love with their imperfections. You don't have to spend all your time with them. You don't have to vote with them. You don't have to, you know, cast the weight on the same side as them. But when you love them, you hold them in your heart. And that's healing for all of us. Now, the gentle side of fertility and feminism isn't dancing in pink clothes through tulips, which is how the sacred feminine is portrayed in, in so much media. The soft side of the great mother is the space of unconditional love. But that is a strong space because it never loses itself when it gives that love. My love for Ruth didn't, didn't mean that I questioned my beliefs or values as a person. I didn't want to rewind and have, you know, 1920 views on black people and gay people and everybody. But I could hold in my heart the beauty of this woman, so much, so much beauty in her life and so much goodness. I could be for her a reward for something good she never did. And she was a reward to me, a corrective. Our relationship eventually dissolved <clears throat> there was a morning I was up there helping her out. I can remember putting on her socks, I think it was. She had an appointment, and she was so cruel and unkind to me. And it was following a series of times where she just was just abrasive, almost abusive, really. I think she was getting worse in uh, her conditions. She did have congestive heart failure. And I decided I couldn't go back and be in that space. We'd had, you know, two years of really good stretch. But day after day, it was getting worse. And I was living in Northampton. I can remember a phone call we had. And I said, I'm not going to come up anymore. And it brings tears to my eyes to think of now. She, she just please, she said. I mean, I don't remember her words. So I can't tell you the exact words. But she did genuinely want me to come, please come back. And I said, no.
And not so long after, within the year, I think, she she passed on. I have a couple of her books. For a long time, I had pieces of her clothing. Fertile feminism is both of those things. It's that incredible love and that incredible strength and that ability to know when enough is enough, when we withdraw and do our loving from the sidelines for people who being with them is no longer uh, suits us and our health. It's not really the right words for it, but I think you know what I mean. So there she is. This beautiful feminist, really. <laughs> she certainly was for her time. And she certainly was a verdant and fertile person in all her imperfections. May we all do just as well and better in our carrying out of our life force and our longing for really the articulation of that life force on all the levels in the world. May you be inspired by your elders, my friends, and may your heart be big and full of love. That's all I got for you today. So I'll see you next week, or I won't see you. <laughs> we'll be together next week. Till then, have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful week. Thanks for listening in. This is me, Sam Wild, aka The Fertile Feminist, and you've been listening to The Fertile Feminist Podcast. Find me on YouTube at The Samantha Wild, aka The Fertile Feminist, and hit the website, thesamanthawild.com, for all kinds of resources, inspirations, and ideas. Also on Instagram at The Fertile Feminist. Until next week, may you tap into that native abundance, creativity, fruitfulness, and life force that's going to help us all bring about that more beautiful world that we know is possible.